So last night, uh, my family, we all were sitting down, we're relaxing, and we decided to sit down and watch a Christmas movie, a new one that we hadn't seen that was on uh, one of the streaming services we had, and we're like, we're going to check this one out. So we start watching it, and there's a there's a scene in the movie where uh, the teacher is, it's flashbacks, so there's a dad telling a story to one of his kids, and they're having a flashback to 1987, and the teacher is in the class teaching and saying, this is maybe boring, but it's important information that when you're an adult, you're going to be glad you learned about the Dewey Decimal System in case you want to look something up. So listen and pay attention because you're going to need to know this, and we all laughed, and we all, meaning Tessa and I, because, you know, we learned about the Dewey Decimal System. We learned about the card catalog. I went and pulled those drawers out and dug through those cards to figure stuff out to find books. And we laugh because now, uh, if I go to the library, I have this thing in my hand, and I have the library's website up. I don't even bother walking over to the computers they provide for you, and I just look up what I want and go, okay, there it is, got it. And most of the time, let's be honest, we don't even bother going to the library because why would I even need the book? Because I can just do a Google search and be like, what do I need to know about this subject? There's a couple articles. Let me look through a couple things, right? And we laugh because the Dewey Decimal System is something we don't really care to learn or use anymore. And we have all this information right here, right? Kind of crazy. I hear a lot of people talk about this idea and this fact that there's this group of people growing up, this generation growing up, who have access to infinite information, but sometimes lack wisdom. And that is a struggle for me sometimes when I hear that, because number one, I'm a youth pastor at heart, and I always get a little kind of bristly, I've learned, when anybody starts talking like, you know, disparagingly about younger people and younger generations. And, you know, even myself, I find myself going to my kids, you have no idea what bored is. Don't tell me you're bored. You have no idea what bored is. <laughs> and I get that. But at the same time, like, we, we sometimes think about this idea of wisdom and this, all this information. You can be a know-it-all. You can be someone who has all the answers because a quick Google search you know, it's like we had those conversations at restaurants way back when where we'd argue, was it, who was in this movie? What was this? What was that about? What was that person's name? It's like somebody just grabs their phone now and goes, uh, it was so-and-so. You know, the Wednesday night crew can laugh at me because sometimes somebody asks ask a question. I'm like, you know, I'm not sure. Let me look. And then five minutes later, I'm like, all right, here's what I'm finding. And we'll talk about what we're finding on the internet because we have all this information and we talk about this lack of wisdom that goes with all that information, how to apply it, how to use it, because suddenly someone can become the know-it-all have all the answers, but not always act the wisest. But in reality, sometimes the people who are going, there's just no wisdom. I, you ever heard that person who, uh, you know, usually we think of wisdom, we think of that person who's little, further along in years, that wise sage who's always got those quippy responses. Well, it's my experience, what I've learned, here's what I've heard. And they offer that little proverb nugget of wisdom, you know, that little cliche statement about well, you know, when God, op or when God closes a door, he opens a window. You know, and you're like, oh, that's, yeah, that's why, even though that's not Scripture at all, um, and actually it's kind of contradictory to Scripture at times. Um, but, you know, we, we sometimes take that as, go, that's a really wise statement. Yeah, I'll, I'll lean on that. And the reality is, is that that's not really wisdom either. The Bible talks about wisdom, and there's this word that the Bible actually uses that translates into wisdom, that is a Hebrew word. You hang with me here. It's a little early in the morning for Hebrew. I got it. And this one, I'm glad you're wearing masks, because this is one of those ones, if you repeat after me, you're going to spit on somebody. Okay? It's chokmah. Okay? You got to get that throat involved. Chokmah. 
Ma. All right, that's the word we translate into wisdom. That word wisdom, if you were to look it up in any kind of concordance, if you look it up in any kind of word study, the very first definition, anybody got a guess? You want to guess? No. <laughs> you don't. Like, I don't want to look silly. No, the very first word that comes across is skill. Specifically, military skill. But it's also used and referenced in artisan skill, someone who's a master at something. And in the Hebrew understanding of this word, it's not even just like skill that is just used and a word that's just used. It's actually a word that's often used as a characteristic of who God is, part of his very nature. The skill and artisanship that he uses to create the world. And we talk about wisdom being skill, practical, applied, hands-on doing something. There is an essence of this word wisdom that means to do something. Not just to talk about something, not just to know things about something, but to do something. To have your hands dirty, to be involved, to have learned that lesson by doing and practicing and gaining that skill and artisanship. God's very nature and essence that he uses to create this world that we live in that was good, if you remember at the beginning. We've messed it up pretty good. But initially, when God was done creating, it was good, right? Perfect, beautiful, amazing. And he attained, it was wild, but he's done this amazing work. And we talk about wisdom, we listen to these wise sages of wisdom and these people who spout these things off and the question becomes yeah but that's a good advice that's good wisdom that's a good thought how have you put that into practice what have you done to practice and grow and become good at that wisdom being a part of your life and so we're going to discuss a little bit uh about what this idea of wisdom looks like, how we can understand what this wisdom is applied to our lives. Look at our key verse, our little memory verse here in a minute. But uh, before we do that and we get too far into God's word, if you would, bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Father, there are lots of times I open my mouth and I think I know the answer. But knowing the answer is very different than sometimes how I practice and live out my own life. Father, I thank you that you understood that we are people who need to see things put into practice, who need to understand how things work. And we're thankful, Father, that you sent your Son to be the Word made flesh, to dwell among us, to be here to help us understand. And so, Father, this morning as we look at your Word, we look at these stories, we look at these passages, Father, I pray you'd help us to wrestle intellectually with the knowledge and start to begin with this knowledge, but I pray that you would help us to build upon it and turn it into practical application, something that we then would do, that we let transform us and make us different so that we can't help but act. And so, Father, I pray that you would guide us and direct us through this conversation this morning and that, Father, it would be your words spoken, your words that speak into our hearts and not mine. I love you. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So I've been listening to, uh, there's this app, you, you can check it out, it's pretty good, I like it, but it uh, may not be for everybody, just warning, but it's good, I, I think it's worth checking out if you're interested in it, but it's kind of these, uh, every day I uh, start my day with this uh, Lectio 365 is what it's called, if you need to know how to spell that later, you can ask me, but Lectio 365, you, um, it, there's, there's a little devotion in the morning, it's kind of how I've been starting my day, and it's got like an audio, someone will speak it, and it has music playing, and it pauses, some people say... Some of my friends have said it puts them straight to sleep, 
which is true in the evening. At the end of the day, when I finish my day there, there's definitely times I just pass straight out listening to it. But I think that's okay because my mind is on God in those moments. But especially right now in the Advent season, there's been this consistent uh, kind of leaning into uh, the Christmas story and different passages from that. And one phrase just keeps standing out and it always stands out. But it's used multiple times throughout the story. It's a consistent theme no matter whose aspect of the story we're getting. In fact, if we look at the uh, Luke chapter 1 in the story of Zechariah, if you remember, he's going into the temple to offer this burnt offering, this incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, this angel that's appeared before him, this presence. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Suddenly, heavenly being, lots of incredible presence. I am going into a very sacred and holy place to offer holy and sacred offerings for the only time that I'll get this opportunity in my entire life as a priest. This is the moment Zechariah is in. And yet he is still taken off guard by just the presence of this angel. And enough so that the angel has to say, do not be afraid, Zechariah. There's another story here. That might be familiar, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Mary has this angel come to her. He's telling her she's going to have God's son. All these things are happening and this presence is here in the room. And again, she is taken off guard. She is greatly troubled at the saying of what's being said. And the angel reassures her, do not be afraid right? We look at Joseph's account in Matthew chapter 1. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Here it's a little different. Don't be afraid to do this. But he's also saying, hey, chill out. I know you're, you got this dream and there's a lot of weird things happening, but don't be afraid, right? And then finally, this last one we will get to, I'm sure, on Christmas Eve and a lot of uh, instances talking about. And the angel said to them, these shepherds who are taking care of their flocks by night, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Don't be afraid, right? There's this presence, this Angels, this heavenly host, there's something crazy beyond what I'm used to happening in this moment. And the encouragement and the word is, do not be afraid. But if we look at our memory verse this week, the the passage that we've been trying to commit to memory, hopefully if you're not familiar with that, Core 52, we've been walking through that book. If you need one, there's some on the table back there. Every week there's a passage you're being encouraged to try to memorize and hold on to. This week is from Proverbs chapter 1, and it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay? Now, I know this is a little bit different, okay? But bear with me for a second. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This moment where all of these individuals experience something beyond themselves puts them in a certain position of fear, right? And this is probably somewhat of a healthy fear. This goes beyond what their everyday life is, what they live, how they practice, what they're doing, the tasks that they go through every day. How many of us have a little bit of a routine, right? And when that routine gets shaken a little bit, 
it catches our attention. We get frustrated, we get aggravated, right? Just at the little bit of a disturbance in routine. Now let's change that routine by adding a heavenly being into the mix, right? It's not, it goes beyond just frustrating that you interrupted me. Now it's like, oh my goodness, step back. There's something significant and big happening here. This isn't like what I'm used to experiencing. This goes beyond just you messed up my schedule. This is like changing how I see and understand the world because there's been a long period of silence leading up to now from where the prophets used to interact with God and things have been kind of quiet. And In terms of God's written word, we're not sure what all has been happening during this period of what God's doing, but we just don't have a lot to go off of. But Angels showing up and giving people messages hasn't been something we're aware that's going on. And so all of a sudden you get one of those, why would you not be suddenly afraid? A little shook, right? And here they are in this moment, understanding that their everyday routine, what they know, what they understand, how they see the world, what they know about the world, how they perceive the world, is suddenly kind of flipped upside down. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This concept and this idea that we aren't the ones who have all the answers. God is, right? That we, off our own understanding, Proverbs would also go on to say a couple chapters later, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight, right? Understand that you don't have the answers. You did not create the world. You may not see the entire picture. You may not know all the answers. We've talked about that before. Remember, we took, just a few months before we started this, the more we know, the gaining of this wisdom is going to help us grow. We probably looked at this exact same passage, but it has to start with that fear and respect of realizing there is something bigger than us at play. But the second part of this is fools despise wisdom and instruction. This fear of the Lord is this humbling, this recognition, allowing ourselves to be humbled in God's presence and realizing something bigger than me is happening. And in order for me to gain wisdom, in order for me to gain instruction, how to live, how to move forward, I first have to humble myself and come before him with the awe and reverence he deserves. Awe. That's a word we use a lot, awesome. You, uh, you catch me saying it a lot, awesome. And that word is really this sense of like I, awe-inspiring, something that is so big and so crazy that it brings about awe, like jaw on the floor, shock, whoa, awe. But we sometimes just go, oh, that's awesome, cool. I'm glad to hear that you, you know, your package came in the mail today. Awesome. Is it? No. But sometimes we just treat it that way. It's an expression more than it is this sense of really being reverent in God's presence. And sometimes I think we have become so familiar and so accustomed to this idea that here's Christmas, here's Jesus, this is the gift we have. He came to die for us on the cross. He did all these things. Yay, that's wonderful. But again, the information just kind of sits. Just like the term awesome kind of sits. And we use it and we don't really think about it. We talk about it and we don't really think about it. We've been told that the Holy Spirit is there with us, that we have access to God's presence, and we go, that's wonderful, but we don't really think about it. We don't look for it. Did we actually seek God's presence? Did we find ourselves in a place where we actually feel that awe and reverence and fear? Because to gain knowledge, to start to grow, is not just about pulling out a phone and doing a Google search in this case. To truly understand something starts with this 
posturing of our mind and our heart and our body and saying, I am not on your level. I, no matter how many Google searches I do, will not have all the answers. I am not that wise. If you look at the history of my life, it proves it time and time and time again, whether I want to admit it or not. Sorry to tell you. It just, it's consistently true. My life shows my lack of wisdom. But here's the cool thing. God understands that we struggle to be wise. He understands that we need to have this reverence in His presence, that there's this sense of awe in who He is. But you look at that story of Zechariah. Zechariah is going into the temple to make this offering. It is literally a once-in-a-lifetime thing. He will only ever do this once. And he's taken aback by God's presence, knowing that he is going into a sacred and holy place to bring up this offering. Where this angel says, hey, your wife, who has been barren for a long time, and we know you're older and you haven't had kids, and this has brought shame on your family, I'm going to give you this son. I'm going to give you this gift and this wonderful hope. And, and I've heard your prayer, and I've, I'm answering your prayer, and all this stuff's happening. Even though this is what he's wanted, even though this is what he's prayed for, even though he knows he's getting this amazing opportunity, he's still lacking belief. He's still unsure of where he's at to the point where his voice is actually taken from him and he's not allowed to speak. He has to write things down to help everybody understand what happened in there. But they know he's been in God's presence. Something crazy's happened. Something bigger than himself has taken place. That moment is how God and the temple and the system worked. There's this holy of holies, this sacred place where God's presence resides because it's not safe. Because something big is going on there. And then, yet at the same time, God knows that that sacred holy system of sacrifice has been good. It's helped try to keep people pure. It's helped them understand the law is important. There's been aspects of it, but it's not completely perfect yet. It's not fulfilled completely because I need to send my son to help people know how to walk because they're still not following the law. The law and the system and the sacrifice and all this stuff is there. Instructions have been laid out. All the wisdom for, and the knowledge for how to do the right thing is there. But again, people just aren't seeing it. People aren't walking in it. People aren't living it. People aren't practicing it. They're not becoming skilled at it. In fact, they continue to fail at it and show how terrible they are at the art of following their God. So that this thing has been a roller coaster of exile and terrible kings and the Old Testament gets really depressing and is a bummer to read sometimes because they're failing. They're not skilled. They're not living in wisdom. So how does God take his awe-inspiring presence? How does he make it relatable? How can he get us to stand in his presence in a way that we have both fear and reverence, yet at the same time, this desire to learn more and to lean closer? This weekend was horrible. If you haven't seen, paid attention. This tornado stuff is heartbreaking. And I'm going to say some things that I'm not trying to make light of what happened. In fact, uh, I would keep an eye on if you want, uh, if you're, you're like just heartbroken about the stuff that's going on too. And this is not just in tornadoes. This is in any kind of tragedy or circumstance that takes place. There's an organization actually based out of Indiana called IDES, I-D-E-S, I-D-E-S dot org. Uh, international disaster. Uh, I lost it. They help with this stuff. All right. There's, uh, there's an E and I've lost what it stands for at all. But 
This is an organization, a Christian organization, they do a lot of good relief, and I'm sure they're assessing right now. I looked at their site and what they do, they're assessing the issues and what's going on down in Kentucky and all these places where these tornadoes tore through. Um, I mean, just the history-making tornado that just stayed on the ground for way too long and tore up so much stuff. And it's sad. And that kind of power, my brother-in-law was showing me some pictures of a guy he knew uh, who had ordered a piece of machinery, farm equipment, from a place down there that was in the path of all this stuff. And he was showing me these little skid steers and things that are just made to be like weighed down heavy so that they don't lift up off the ground while they're lifting stuff, right? Flipped upside down. Like there's nothing for the wind to grab and these things are just picked up and smashed into the ground. You talk about power. You talk about just crazy, unexplainable destruction. And yet, and I know some of you may not agree with me, but this is just me. This is where I get a little lighthearted, and I'm just warning you, I'm not taking this lightly. I'm just being serious. There's something about tornadoes that has always fascinated me. I'm the weirdo who loves the movie Twister, and every time we get our first like real good storm of the spring, I'm like watching Twister. I'm sorry, I'm a weirdo. I, I know. I'm the guy who has said a hundred times, I would go with storm chasers in a heartbeat. I find it just fascinating because there's something about this power that just I want to know more. I want to see. I want to experience. I kind of want to, like, there's, there's this weird, twisted sense of wanting to get closer. God's presence is way bigger and way more powerful than any tornado could ever be. God's presence is way bigger and way more powerful than any other thing. And the good news is it's not destructive. In fact, Scripture says in John chapter 10 that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life to the full. God took seriously his commands to follow his instruction. And he demonstrated his power in helping guide and direct his people to crush their enemies, to do the things he needed to do to help people see he wasn't kidding. He, was a, he is a powerful force at work in the world, and we can trust him. But his desire is for us to know him, to be close enough in this presence, to not be afraid as we enter his presence, so that we can stand and get to know him because he knows that he want, that what he has to offer, what he has to understand, all the things he was working toward with the temple system and the sacrifices and all of these things was for our benefit and for our betterment if we could just hold on to it. If we could just get in close enough to see and understand, if we could just overcome the concerns and the fears and the worries of, if I get close, how could this turn my world upside down? If I get too close, it may not be destructive in terms of my marriage or my family or my whatever. It may not be destructive in terms of a lot of things, but it might be destructive to my comfortable way of life. It may flip things on their head when it comes to how I'm used to living. Because God's awe-inspiring presence does turn things upside down. And when we are actually living out His wisdom and His way and His life and the things He calls us to be and do, it's a little scary. But the reality is He's leading us to life, His definition of life to the full, to make the best out of our life that He can. Jesus is the Word made flesh. It talks about it in John chapter, 10, or, uh, John chapter 1. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So just a recap reminder here. He's light. He's helping us see. He's helping us understand. He's helping us grasp. He is the word made flesh. He is coming in to be what it is we need to see, what it is we need to understand, this practical, lived out, applied wisdom skill that has been put into practice so we can see how he interacted with people, how he loved and cared for his enemy and his neighbor, how he picked up those who were hurting and broken off the ground, how he put into practice all the things God was calling us to be since the beginning of all time. Through the law, through all those things, he said, I didn't come to demolish the law, to tear down the law, I came to fulfill the law so that you could actually understand what it was about. And how do you actually understand? My teaching is going to help you But watch how I live, because my skill, my creativeness, my artistry, the fact that I'm putting this into practice and doing these things is my wisdom lived out. That passage finishes up. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, that glory, that all-inspiring, do-not-be-afraid kind of presence and glory made flesh dwelling among us full of grace and truth. Jesus' life is wisdom. God's very nature made flesh and lived out in front of us. And when we're talking about how do we live a life of wisdom, how do we pursue these things, it's not just about saying, well, the Bible says... Here's your wisdom for today. Here's a little nugget out of the book of Proverbs that just is a little quip that will help you do a little better today. It only helps you do a little better if you put it into practice. And honestly, Jesus' life is the Word made flesh, the Word put into practice, the Word shown as skill. There's a reference in um, the book of Luke when Jesus is a little older, not a baby, He's been left at the temple, and his family's like, where's he at? And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Sometimes we think, well, yeah, it's easy to say. Jesus, of course, is God's very nature made flesh. Of course, he's going to do it perfectly, always and forever. He's always going to be doing it exactly the right way, except for the fact it says Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Because Jesus' life being lived out, though he was at the temple about his father's business, listening to his father's word, doing the things at the temple that like, were shocking the priests and the, the men there. Like, what is this kid? Who is this kid? What is he doing? It's still saying he's growing in wisdom and in stature. He is gaining practice and skill. This life being lived out and put into practice is growing in him and it can grow in us because we are called to follow and be like our Savior. But it's not done by just simply reading a little bit or attending here and there and listening and going, that's good advice. I can repeat that sometime. Because if it's just about gaining information and spitting information back out and not breaking a couple of rules, then all you really need is a cell phone. To be a wise follower of Jesus, if that's all it really is, All you need is a cell phone. Jesus' life, 
lived out, made a way for us to be in relationship so we could stand in that awe-inspiring presence and realize that we are nothing. We are so far below God and his understanding and his presence and who he is and what he wants us to see in this world and understand this world. He wanted us to have access to that kind of presence that put us in this place of humility and understanding that we need him desperately. But he wanted to give us access to it in a way where we could come with confidence, not being afraid, but being drawn in to a powerful presence that would transform. Being drawn in to a powerful presence that could help us grow and be different. And therefore, he came and dwelt among us, living and accomplishing and growing in wisdom and presenting wisdom and living out wisdom and living out that presence and making a way for us to be in his presence so that we could have this amazing gift and grow in wisdom ourselves. It starts with the reverent fear and trembling of knowing our place in this relationship. But it has to continue where we feel comfortable and confident being pulled into that relationship, being pulled in in such a way that we know it is safe to go before him through the name of Jesus. Hebrews talks about this very concept. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus lived and walked and experienced and understands what it's like to be us. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we were, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. No matter what we're walking through, no matter what we're experiencing, no matter how we're getting through things, we've been given access to a presence that helps us draw near so that we can receive exactly what it is that we need to grow in wisdom But then at the end of the day, it kind of comes back down to what we've said in James and other places. You can't just hear it and go, that's good truth. I can hold on to that information stored away in the database, have it for later. But I need to then take that truth and practice. We've talked here before about practicing the way of Jesus Going out and saying, all right, I feel like this is what his teaching says. Where in my life am I falling short in that teaching? Okay, here's a place I identified. How can I go practice that now? How can I go do something? Because again, we don't get better by just sitting around talking about it. Got to go run the reps, put in the practice, put in the time to improve and get better. Wisdom is acquiring that skill. We have that skill, we have that wisdom, we have that access because... We have been given a Savior in Jesus who was the Word made flesh. The teaching, the presence, the understanding of who God is that lived here and dwelt among us and offered up Himself in a way that we still have access through the Holy Spirit to that same presence, that same truth. We can look at that same story, that same life, and say, here is how it is done. Here is how it is lived. And because of what he did, I can come with confidence back to regain my focus, to regain my sight on what's important, and learn how to walk in wisdom with fear and trembling. Not running away from instruction, not running away from a wisdom, not running so far away in fear because I'm afraid of what God might do if I actually let him have my life. He might send me across the world to some other country to be a missionary, and that's scary. Do I think he's going to do that to everybody? No. Do I think he's going to send you out to be a missionary? Yes. Maybe not around the world, but definitely to your neighbor. Definitely to your family. 
definitely wherever it is he sends you to step foot because you were called to make disciples, to get people to follow you as you follow Jesus. That is the very nature of everything we're supposed to be doing. Do I think he's going to turn your world upside down a little bit and not let you live in comfort? Yes. The question is, are you afraid of his presence? Afraid of what might happen? Would you rather scoot back and say, I think I'll just keep going to church and reading a little bit? Quote a few verses here and there and let that be okay. Or is it the kind of awe and presence that draws us in that we can't step away? We find it irresistible. We have to know more. We have to get close. We have to experience that power and let it transform us. Let it turn our world upside down. Let it make us who he wants us to be so that we can live and walk in his wisdom. If you would bow your heads with me. We're going to go into a time of response and just encourage you for a moment to think silently and just kind of pray and just wrestle with this question. Just wrestle with this question. Am I okay where I'm at? Practicing what I'm practicing, doing what I'm doing. Or is there some way God wants me to see the power and the reverence and all the things in his presence that he needs me to see? Am I finding space for that? Am I experiencing that? Do I need to lean into that? Or have I been making efforts? And just honestly ask God to reveal that to you and put on your heart whatever conviction you need this morning. At the same time, I just... Simply encourage you to pray as we, go, as we respond, as we continue to seek his presence. Just say, Father, help me to be drawn in by the power of your presence, to desire your wisdom, to desire what it is you have for me. Help increase that longing in my heart, that need for your presence. Please don't let me just be satisfied with what I know. Give me a hunger for who I should know. Father, I I know that you created this world with your wisdom, with your skill, with your strength, with your power. You spoke words into life and you created out of nothing. And by your very words spoken, you created life. But Father, I know that your word came, became flesh and dwelt among us and that life was demonstrated for us and shown and, and new life was given. Father, not just the old life that we settled for, but this new life that we need to pursue. And Father, the beauty of how the words of your scripture and the words of the story play back and forth and how you try to push us to understand what it is you're getting at. Father, comes to a head in Jesus and says, here's the fulfillment of everything I have for you. And yet, Father, sometimes we miss the simplest truths of how he lived his life, and how you lived in this world, and how you accomplished the things you did on our behalf. And Father, we don't seek you, we don't seek to know you, we don't speak to seek to spend time with you, we just kind of put it off until later and say, I'll get around to it. And we just continue to press on in our own wisdom and understanding. And Father, I pray that you would help us to realize that we have to cling to you, that we have to know you, 
that as we tremble in your presence and realize our position in this conversation, our position in this world is still so far short of what you need us to be. Father, I pray that you would just give us a desire and a hunger to grow. And so, Father, I just pray that wherever we're at, wherever we're processing that over the course of communion, over the course of these songs, over the course of the rest of this morning, that you would give us space and time for your spirit to work and to talk into our hearts. Let us hear your voice and let us know that you are God. Let us know that you have work to do in our lives and that you're not finished with us yet. and That work is ongoing until the end of our days. And so I pray that we would be able to humble ourselves in these moments to receive whatever it is you have. It's in the precious name of Jesus I pray. Amen.